Donald Trump has called for a boycott of all Apple products until they cooperate. Though, I would like to note, I saw his tweets, and he has still been tweeting from his iPhone. So he personally hasn't (laughs) kept up with this boycott, but it's out there. Welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. It is Thursday, March 17th. I'm Tori Stowell, an economics reporter with Bloomberg News in D.C., and I am flying solo today, but I am getting help from not one but two great guests. They are going to help me unpack a pretty interesting topic, given that we are in the throes of this ever-fascinating, sometimes intensely depressing election season. It's almost like I can't even remember what my life before the election cycle was like. But in the studio with me, I have Kurt Carlson and Chris Heidock of Georgetown Institute for Consumer Research. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Hi, good to be here. So on a related note to the election frenzy, we've had some situations in recent memory where companies have taken political stances. And it's possible that we could see a bit more of that, maybe a lot more of that, as the election rhetoric heats up further. And so you guys have actually done some research on some of the economic consequences of that. You know, how do consumers respond when companies wade into politics? But before we get started, I drew up a short list of a few examples that came off the top of my head so we can jog everyone's memories together. So the first one I thought of, given my love for it, was Chipotle. (laughs) So two years ago, a representative or representatives of a group called Open Carry Texas took an armed trip to a Dallas area Chipotle and they had military style assault rifles with them, like took pictures and stuff, which would be I don't know, I'd probably be terrified if that <laughs> happened here and I mean it would it couldn't happen here, I guess, in DC, right? It's probably a, a much lower tolerance level for that here. <laughs> <laughs> so Chipotle came out and it asked its customers not to bring guns into its restaurants unless they were authorized law enforcement personnel. And do you guys remember hearing about this Adidas example from February? It had to do with Valentine's Day. Our listeners may remember, if you follow Adidas on Instagram, they posted (laughs) a couple, a picture of a couple that appeared to be both women and a commenter threatened to start buying Nike instead. Like, how could you do this on Valentine's Day? It's for like boys and boys and girls, not girls and girls, whatever. And Adidas responded with the hand wave emoji, like (laughs) essentially saying like, bye Felicia to this commenter, we don't care. And then Chick-fil-A. Maybe you guys can talk about the Chick-fil-A one because I remember this, it still comes up today in a lot of conversations that I have with people. So so yeah, Chick-fil-A is is definitely the incident that motivated this whole research project. One of our our co-authors was uh, heard about the story uh, and obviously, we acknowledge that Chick-fil-A, we were all talking about it in the news at that point. Uh, but we began to wonder, what is the effect on consumers? Do consumers even care about this at all? Um, are they just going to look past this and, and never think about it again? Or is there going to be a, some some kind of net effect on in terms of a positive or negative result in terms of increased or decreased visits to, to Chick-fil-A after, after their uh, 
anti-gay marriage stance. Right. And so that's, again, what really drove this project. Yeah, and that was all the way back in 2012. It's hard to believe that was that long ago. But the CEO, Chick-fil-A's CEO, came out and said he was guilty as charged in his religion-based opposition to gay marriage. And as a result, same-sex marriage supporters protested at Chick-fil-A locations, while those who had agreed with him sort of crammed into Chick-fil-A stores to show their support. And actually, fun fact, in an interview two years later, Kathy, actually seemed to regret wading into that and said that Chick-fil-A had no place in culture wars. So um, lots to talk about. I don't want to neglect mentioning Apple and privacy, but we'll get into that later since that's sort of a recent area of discussion here. So in some of the cases that we've talked about, it seemed like they were sort of forced to take a stance uh, because something happened in their store. So, I mean, how does that, how does, what does a company do with that? How does that affect them? So that's, a, that's an interesting question. I think uh, one of the things I've actually thought about with Chick-fil-A itself is uh, that they are a privately run business. They're not too shy about the fact that religion does play a big part in how they operate their business. For example, they're not open on Sundays. Um, and so their stance when it came to gay marriage kind of fit with the beliefs that they have um, exerted at other points in operating. And so it becomes really unclear if, if that will be something that um, that differentiates a, a forced stance from a voluntary stance. Right. Yeah, I would just, I would just chime in that, that you've got the entire spectrum operating here. You can imagine at one end of the spectrum, you've got a, a, a divisive political issue that has nothing to do with the business at hand. And the company uh, simply chooses to enter into the conversation, perhaps because the CEO thinks that it would um, be wise to share that opinion on on social media, or because um, they think that somehow it'll draw attention and and bode well for the company. Or they're just not even thinking. And then maybe they're not even thinking about it, right? Six of one, half a dozen of the other. Maybe it hurts some, helps some. They're not worried too much about it. On the other end of the spectrum, you've you've got instances like people carrying semi automatic uh, machine guns into your store right. and potentially scaring off your average patron. And so now you're, it really does seem like you're being forced into it. And you mentioned, um, you mentioned the case of Apple. I think that, you know, that's also an instance where the, they're being forced in by, by the government requesting that they actually do work mm-hmm. uh, on behalf of the, the government's request that would violate its current policy. So you've got this spectrum out there and in some of these instances, when we opt to wade in, like Chris said, it's going to be much more central to whatever our business practice is. And you could make the claim that to the extent that the typical consumer at Chick-fil-A sees themselves as someone who's you know, faith-abiding, that they might actually, uh, they might actually appreciate the stance right. taken taken yeah. uh, by the CEO. And it seems like a lot of them did. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading reports about people sort of like waiting out the door, lines wrapping around the stores when this happened, in show in show of support for that. Yep. So then, the, you know, the question that, that that we were focused on is, if you take any particular divisive issue. And there's two sides to it. We're just we're gonna let's just define it that way. Let's just say okay, a divisive issue has two sides. I mean, it doesn't mean that you know it has to only have two sides. Right. But that let's play in that in that in that sandbox. And it's interesting because there's about fifty percent on each side of the issue. It's it's hard to come up with divisive issues where ninety nine percent of people agree. Right. right? I mean, <laughs> it just seems like it's not terribly divisive. It's an issue, but not terribly divisive. So if you've got you know a, a sizable 
percentage of people on either side of a divisive issue, you can ask the question, what happens when this brand or this company that may or may not need to wade into this adopts one side of this? Mm-hmm. Right? Some of the people are going to agree with that, mm-hmm. and some are going to disagree. So Chick-fil-A, for example. Yeah. Yeah. What are the reactions of those two groups going to be? And, and will they be equal? They'll almost certainly be opposite. Right? Mm-hmm. They have to be opposite. Right? But will they be equal? And so that was sort of where we entered. We came in and we said, let's look in a broad range of context with a broad range of issues. And then let's see what happens to those that, that agree with the position they took and those that disagree. What, what does that do to attitude towards the brand and willingness to buy the brand? That, that was our question. Right. So, I mean, let's look at, at one of those buckets first then. So in a situation where a company representative just sort of like YOLO, let's let's take a stance here. Uh, what happens to them? What happens to their business? Chris? I, it's time for the big reveal. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, so when when those uh, representatives, whether it's the CEO or, or anyone, anyone high enough up to garner some attention takes that stance, um, what we ended up seeing is we saw this kind of bivalent reaction among consumers. Uh, some obviously are going to support that. Some are going to oppose that. Uh, what we see is that those consumers who support the stance, we see a small kind of increase in their attitude towards the brand. Um, but more importantly, what we see is those consumers that oppose the stance that that, uh, that company member took, uh, we see this significant, uh, much more significant decrease in attitude towards the brand. Just thinking in my own personal life, I know people who to this day refuse to eat at Chick-fil-A, even though that happened almost four years ago now. They still will not eat there, um, despite the fact that they yep. like love their chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect example, right? Yeah. So you get, you get, the, you get the, the maybe slight positive increase in the attitude for those that, that agree with the position, in this case, uh, opposing gay marriage. And you get this really strong, aversive reaction to the people that, that, that disagree. And so we're finding that in, in the attitude measures and the choice and the willingness to pay measures that there's just not a whole lot of upside, right? The subset that, that aligns with the position you're going to take as you wade into this device a political issue, the, the subset that, that, it, that aligns with it just isn't going to do that much to help you out. Mm-hmm. It's either because they've already eaten their one chicken sandwich a week, right? And they're just, they're, <laughs> they're, they've got a quota. Right. Can't eat more than one chicken sandwich a week. Or, or that there's just, there's just, they're not going to reward you. For, for, for wading into that. On the other side, man, people, when, when you wade into one of these divisive political issues, the people that disagree with it seem like, they, like they've found a reason to, to choose an alternative over you. Yeah. And so you could start to ask the question, which maybe we'll get into in a bit, is what's the net net of this, right? You can start to ask. That. And, and the answer to that is probably going to come down to the composition of your, your customer base, mm-hmm. right? If, if 90% of your customers agree with the stance you took, maybe the slight benefit, right, added up over those 90, 90% of your customers. Works out for you. Works out. You lose more on the 10%. They don't come to you anymore at all. Right. But, but the, they come to you one more time a month from the 90%. That offsets it. But remember what we said to start this, right, is that these are divisive political issues. So there are issues that are divisive by definition, meaning there's a good chunk of people on each side. Mm-hmm. To the extent that there's about 50-50 or 60-40, it's going to be really hard for this small positive effect to outweigh the big negative effect that we're seeing. 
So yeah, so I think with national brands, that's definitely the case. You can imagine maybe a, maybe a smaller brand in a local area um, that has, where maybe nationally, again, that this is a 50-50 debate, in this local area that might be 90-10, and, and maybe those smaller brands are able to take advantage of this. So yeah. maybe Pete's local bait shop in, in North Carolina might be able to take advantage of certain issues that um, a national brand like Starbucks or Target could not. Yeah, I mean... Thinking again of my own personal <laughs> life, uh, I live in DuPont, uh, near DuPont Circle here in D.C. And it, for our listeners who aren't familiar with D.C., it's a very gay-friendly neighborhood. has all has been that way for decades now. The annual Pride Parade stretches across many DuPont streets. We have a yearly high heel race where <laughs> drag queens will race each other uh, down a street, like right next to my house. Um, and year-round, a lot of businesses have rainbow flags or rainbow stickers on their doors. And I've got to believe that's, in some sense, taking a political stance. So would they benefit in a situation like that? I, I think that's the perfect example. Uh, that A lot of these local businesses around here, uh, they will take the stance that they know pretty much everybody in D.C. supports. Um, and you don't see the national businesses do it, but you do see the local brands do it. Right. And so if we're thinking back then to our sort of second scenario where a company is forced into doing this, um, so a Chipotle or a Starbucks in this situation where people are just sort of bringing these big, scary guns and, and small, inoffensive guns, I guess, into their, into their stores. I mean, how do they figure out what to do then? Wow, that's a great question. Um, n- know that, that based upon our results, it's, it's not going to buy you too much with those that are aligned already with the position, and it's going to hurt you on the other side. If you look at other research in behavioral economics, people are extremely forgiving of actions that businesses take that they didn't have a choice in taking. Um, just as an example, the single best way to increase your price is to tell people that you had no choice because your costs went up. Right. If you increase price because demand is high, it's called price gouging. You end up in front of Congress, right? Right. So, but if, if you increase... Or you, like Uber, search pricing, <laughs> you like attract the ire of everyone around you. If we were to make a prescription in this context, it would be, you know, take the position that that applies to your values. Know that there's going to be a subset of your customer base that probably is not going to like that. And do your best to communicate to them that that you really didn't have a choice in this. Not, not in the choice of which direction to go, but that you were forced to make a choice. And I think that'll probably buy you a certain amount of insulation against retribution. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about Apple because it has become a pretty hot topic lately. And in case our listeners haven't been following, Apple was served with a court order last month to help the FBI unlock a phone used by one of two attackers who killed 14 people in San Bernardino, California. Apple has refused to do so, saying that creating software to help the FBI would set a really bad precedent and open the door for other foreign governments to make similar demands. And they've gotten a ton of backup from other tech giants, including Amazon, Google, Microsoft. And meanwhile, the U.S. government's argument is that, you know, one of the world's most technologically savvy companies can easily help it with one one little phone without risking the security of its operations or the privacy of its customers. So, 
I mean, walk walk me through how you guys might see this and, and any possible economic consequences, good or bad, that could befall Apple. Because Donald Trump has called for a boycott of all Apple products until they cooperate. Though, I would like to note, I saw his tweets, and he has still been tweeting from his iPhone. So he personally hasn't <laughs> kept up with this boycott, but it's out there. Yeah, there's, there's the boycott on purchase, the boycott, <laughs> and then there's the boycott on use. Right. Uh, two totally different things, apparently. So I think uh, when we look at this example, there's two sides to it. There's the um, Apple logistically wanting to ensure the privacy of their phones and ensure that ensure their consumers that their their data that they transmit on their phones and contain on their phones um, is private and then you all can also look at this as as kind of apple taking a stance for privacy more general um, more generally and i think that is uh partially what they're doing by blowing this issue up mm-hmm. um, they they look at this as a great chance to build up a reputation for a company that champions privacy um, and so when we, especially when we look at it in that sense, uh, we can look at, again, how, how is this going to affect consumers? And we ended up running a study trying to look at this exact thing with, with privacy rights and technology companies. And we see the exact same effects uh, that we saw in other studies we ran with immigration or gun rights or, or health care. Uh, again, we see the same pattern where consumers who supported the stance, they, there was a bump in attitudes, there was a bump in kind of willingness to purchase for those brands. Um, and for the consumers who opposed, we see this significant decrease again. So we, we kind of end up at the same place that we think this will have a very uh, a, a much bigger effect on those who oppose Apple stance than those who support it. And then it comes down to do more consumers support or oppose Apple's stance here. Right. And that also per- would purchase their products to begin with, because I guess if if they if they're like Samsung users this doesn't really affect them maybe they were never going to buy an apple phone to begin with and they just disagree with Apple. so i mean that's one way to look at it or you yeah for the disagreeers yeah but or you could look at it as can apple use this to attract some samsung users over to their side right so we talked about a loyalty effect earlier um could this help sort of engender greater loyalty among people who already have Apple products. I mean, I uh, don't even really know what encrypted phones mean. I just know I have like my little four number password here <laughs> on my phone and hopes that I hope that takes care of the problem. But I mean, what sort of loyalty effects are we looking at here? Well, so this is, this is a really interesting uh, question. What are the long run consequences of of adopting a position that uh, that someone in, uh, agrees with based upon something that doesn't necessarily have a whole lot to do with the business that the company's in. Um, in in different work work that uh, that that I've done with uh, Ishani Banerjee, who's at the Univers- University of Texas San Antonio, we look at the question of what is it that makes consumers fiercely loyal. Like, I mean, and this is by fiercely loyal, we mean irrationally loyal. The, mm-hmm. the people that that will defend a, a brand even when the evidence is stacked up against it. The, the, the people that um, you used to think of as sort of like Harley Davidson um, uh, riders and, and maybe some people early in the days of Starbucks. Um, Dan, and, I think our co- <laughs> my co-host would definitely fall into this category and, for Starbucks. And, and a, lot of, a lot of Apple's consumers too would fit that as well. And so when we studied this, we, we said, what is it that makes these people unique over people that just buy a product quite frequently? And what we found was that um, it's different. It's a form of love. But it's different than sort of puppy dog love because you you can you can love your puppy and you can also love the neighbor's puppy, but in these instances, these fiercely loyal consumers, 
they loved their brand and they hated the alternatives. So what we discovered as part of studying this is that, that in order to create this sort of fierce loyalty, there had to be some antagonist. There had to be, there had to be both the brand that you could fall in love with, but then something else that, that was pushing you towards it, that you were, you were in some sense uh, disgusted with. And so in this context, that's not another brand, but that, that's the federal government. Right, right? it's the government, and, and so to which the, already has a lot of haters right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's entirely possible that, that we won't see a, a, a huge uptick in sales or necessarily even attitudes, but we will see some of these loyal Apple consumers convert into what we might call fiercely loyal, like irrationally loyal consumers. And that could bode well for them in the future, upsell, cross-sell, insulating them from mistakes they might make in the future, insulating them from pricing mistakes where they raise price without raising cost. Because fiercely loyal consumers are just really, really uh, forgiving of all kinds of mistakes that companies would make. So to the extent that, that the federal government is going to act in the mind of the consumer as this sort of antagonist, Mm then this uh, adopting this position might actually work well to convert some of Apple's borderline loyal, fiercely loyal to really fiercely loyal consumers. Fascinating. Uh, when we were talking earlier, one of your research associates, Ann Wilson, mentioned how there are actually apps that let you see political stances that companies support. Um, so I, I researched some of the ones that she talked about. There's Bicot which has a built-in barcode scanner to let you, quote, vote with your wallet. And you can learn about a product's history, make a purchase decision, and then also communicate your decision to the company. Tell them why you are or are not buying a product. And there's also the Bipartisan app, which is a very clever name, B-U-Y Partisan, um, that also lets you scan a product's barcode, and in this case, you can see the political contributions of the company's CEOs, board of directors, um, even their employees. So it seems like never before have we had the intense level of transparency that allows us to sort of get all this information about politics and, and sort of these divisive issues that we talked about before making a purchasing decision. I mean, how does that play into all of this? It's really hard to find it, an issue that's not politicized. And there are a lot more opportunities now. Well, yeah. So the opportunities is one. The, the second thing is that the instance that you mentioned, the Chick-fil-A instance that started this whole thing, right, that that happened through the media. People, mm-hmm. be, for the most part, became aware of it through the media. And so as we've been talking here, uh, we've been talking mainly about consumers reacting to things that they see in the media. What these applications are doing is they're they're actually allowing consumers to initiate this process, right, on a one-on-one basis with any brand that they want. Um, and so yeah, we think that the the scope of the implications for the results that we found, this bivalent, right, small positive, big negative effect, we think that the scope is, is just made substantially larger by the technology and the access that people have to this information, that it doesn't have to be anything that's in the news at all or that or that anybody else really cares about. If I care about it, right, I can bring my concerns to bear on this particular decision and my attitudes towards this particular brand with the aid of these technologies. So yeah, we think we think that that the general phenomenon will translate to situations that have nothing to do with uh with any media broadcasting anything about the stance that's right. been adopted. 
Thank you guys so much, Kurt and Chris, for joining us. And thanks to you all for listening to Bloomberg Benchmark. We will be back next week. And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, and a few other places. And while you're there, please take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And please let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to and follow me on Twitter at, at Tori Stillwell. And you can look up our guest's research at consumerresearch.georgetown.edu if you're interested in learning more. And if you can think of any examples of brands taking political stances that we missed, please feel free to let us know, and we'll see you next week. 